All right, y'all. This is Piper. The legend herself. Can you say hi, Pipes? Hi, Piper. Say hi to all my friends. Okay, um, Piper and I have been, this is something we do every night. Piper, we, we do bedtime. It's pretty much your bedtime right now, actually. We do bedtime every night, and Mommy and Daddy tuck you in, and we ask you the same question every night, right? Mm-hmm. And I ask you this question every night, right? I say, what two things do you know to be true? Mommy, Daddy love me, and God love me. That's right. You crushed that. Okay, high five. Noggin. Okay, can you say go Raiders? Go Raiders. All right, go get, go get mama. Go get mama. Get it, girl. Oh, high five. Oh, another high five. Oh, another high five. She'll be playing for the Raiders in no time, right? Honestly, the way our team's going, she'll probably be their best player, okay? Um, all right, so I love, I love the worship song we sang in the set tonight, and, and it, it said this in the lyrics. It said, until I see you face to face, until at last I've won my race, remind me you're not finished yet, I'll live in remembrance. And the reason, uh, I mean, Piper's stinking cute, so that was a part of it, if I'm being totally honest. But the reason I brought Piper up here is this is genuinely a part of our bedtime routine, is um, Piper's two and a half now, and we, we try to have uh, as close to the same routine every night as possible, where uh, whether it's my wife, Paige, or I that's putting her down for the night, uh, you, you typically read a couple of books, uh, sing a couple of songs, and then I ask her this question every night. And it's actually a question my parents asked me when, when I was growing up, and, and it was just the simple question, hey, Pipes, what two things do you know to be true? And you heard her say it, right? Every night, Piper goes, mommy and daddy love me so much, and God loves me so much. And right now, it's, it's, uh, it's memorization, right? Right now, it's just her repeating something that she's heard from us. But I love that my daughter's gonna grow up not just having memorized that, but hopefully that Paige and I live that out for her. That we demonstrate to her that, hey, your mom and your dad, we love you no matter what. There's nothing that you could do to make us love you more. There's nothing that you could do to make us love you less. And that there is a God that loves you no matter what. But the reason we do this and the reason we walk through this routine every night, and friends, like some nights, it's just like, Plain and simple, like we walk through it. Other nights, I kid you not, this, this was a couple of nights ago, I'm putting Piper down, and, and typically I'll ask her, like, hey, what song do you want me to sing? And uh, it's like some sort of lullaby, or like, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine, right? Or like some song, whatever. The other night, we had been listening to the Beach Boys that day. Can I get an amen? Okay. And uh, <clears throat> she, she goes, um, Dada, can you sing, can you sing uh, Surfing USA? And I was like... I love this girl, right? And so I'm like, I'm like singing the song, and then she interrupts me, and she goes, a bushy, bushy blonde hairdo, and I was like, this girl's the best. And then I'm like, she goes, Dada, one more song, one more song. She goes, can you sing Baby Shark? I'm like, baby, like, how do you sing this as like a bedtime lullaby, right? So I'm like setting her down. She's like almost asleep. She's just like drinking her milk, and I'm like, baby shark, do, 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 baby. Like, tried, I don't know how to sing this as like a, a lullaby. And so I get through baby shark and she's like falling asleep and she goes, grandma shark, right? Like she wants like, <laughs> she whole girl wants the full song. And so we do this whole bit and then I ask her a question, what two things you know to be true? Mom and dad love me, God loves me so much. And I want her to remember this 
For the same reason we sang this song, that as I go throughout my life, there's a reality about us as humans, and I love that we got to sing it tonight, is that we need to constantly be reminded because we forget, right? Like, how many of you have ever lost your phone when it's in your hand? You, you ever been like so stressed, like looking around the house, you're late for school, and you're like, where's my phone? And your sister's like, it's in your hand. You're like, I knew that stupid, right? Like, it's like it, we forget all the time. Like, that's, that's just like in our nature. And I love that he even referenced Joshua chapter four, right? God has rescued his people. He brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He's bringing them into the promised land and he tells them to stop. He says, pause in the middle of this river that I'm gonna split for you when it's at flood stage. You're gonna walk across this river and I'm gonna ask you to pick up 12 stones, pile them on the other side of this river so that you remember. So that when your children's children and their children after them and generations pass, when they ask, what are these rocks here for? That we do it in remembrance, that we remember who God is. Because what happens, friends, when we forget who God is? In Matthew chapter seven, we've talked about this in every chapel. It says that if we hear these words of God, if you come to chapel, and if you go to a, uh, into your cabin time and you open up God's word, if you're having a discussion and you hear the words of God and then you put them into practice, you are like the man or you are like the woman that builds their house on the, rock, rock. On the rock. And if your house is built on the rock, you can trust the foundation. And because you can trust the foundation in the middle of the storm, your hope isn't in your circumstances. Your hope is in something so much bigger. And this is what we've been, we've been chewing on all week is what does this look like to have our hope and our trust firmly rooted in him because we can trust him and we can trust what he said. But do you remember all the way back to the beginning of the story, Genesis chapter three? Adam and Eve are chilling in the garden. It says that they're able to walk in the cool of the day with God. God has given them everything they need. And yet it says we have a very real enemy and that enemy slithers into their life. And he says these four words that change the course of history. Did did God really say? Right, these four words changed everything. And why did these four words change everything? Because they got us to distrust God and his character and distrust what he says. So tonight we're gonna unpack uh, maybe a little bit of like an unpopular topic. Tonight we're gonna unpack something that uh, if I'm being totally honest with you, like some talks, like I, you stand up and you give a message and it's like, there's like, it's, there's an aspect of fun in talking about it. Like some talks, like I'm a big steak guy. Anybody else like steak out there? Okay. Like some, some messages, when you're preparing a message, when you're delivering a message, like some topics are just like a nice ribeye that's been like set out and it's once it's gotten to that perfect room temperature, you take the, the pepper and the salt and you rub it in and then you let that just sink into the meat and then you throw it on a grill at about five, five, 550 degrees. You sear it on both sides and then you turn the heat off and you let it slow cook and then you cut into that with some nice mashed potatoes. You eat that up and you go, mmm. That's some messages, y'all. Like sometimes I get to stand up here and go like, mmm, this is gonna be a good steak tonight. In other messages, like tonight, tonight's message, tonight's message is broccoli, okay? And I'm not even talking about like cooked good broccoli. I'm talking about like 
uncooked broccoli. Like it's the last thing on that dip tray. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like the dip tray with the ranch and like the uncooked broccoli is always the last thing on there because everybody's like, hmm, like what do I do with those miniature trees? Like I, I don't know. But in, in a lot of senses, in a lot of senses, what we talk about tonight, it's, it's honestly, it's not my favorite thing to talk about. But I, I can't, I can't stand up here and talk to you about truth this week. I can't stand up here and talk to you about the goodness of God and the goodness of the gospel without getting into what we need to get into tonight. And in Genesis chapter 3, when Satan said, did God really say, it, sin entered into the picture for the very first time. And ever since then, every single one of us sitting in this chapel, we have a sin problem. Right? Scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all means all. That means every single one of us, from the back of the room to the front of the room, every single one of us struggles with this sin problem. And so we ask the question, what is sin? And, and here's my two definitions of sin. Sin is any thought, word, action, or attitude that goes against God's design for our life. God was very intentional in how he created us. And when he created us, he gave us something called free will. And here's the thing about when he created us, okay? God created us and he made us and he said this, I'm going to give you the choice to follow me or to not follow me, to love me or to not love me, to live out the design that I have for you or to not live out the design that I have for you. Because here's the reality. Forced love is not love at all. In uh, 2017, well, I'll back it up to 2016, I found myself working here at Hume Lake Christian Camps. And I was over in uh, the Ponderosa Lodge over yonder, and I was doing rec that summer. The theme was bingo, right? And we were having a lot of fun, and I walked upstairs in the Ponderosa Lodge, and there sat a girl named Paige Finkemeyer. And she was a Ponderosa lead that summer, and she had her green bag on, and I walked up and I said, Oh, what's up, girl, right? And I, I kid you not, I said this to her. I said, has anybody ever told you you look a lot like Taylor Swift? And she was like, wow. Come to find out, my wife is like the biggest Swifty you've ever met in your life, okay? And so all of summer of 2016, we kind of had this like friendly back and forth. She's like three years younger than me. She was studying at Wheaton College. I was living in Newport Beach at the time. So we were just like friends all summer, but we had these like heated debates. She was studying sociology and theology. I had graduated from Bible University with a degree in theology. A year later, fast forward, she would come back up here for a summer, work the whole summer. Then she would move down to Long Beach. I'm still living in Newport. I help her move into her apartment when she moves from Chicago to California because I'm a nice guy, okay? right? I'm a nice guy, just out of the kindness of my heart, okay? I help her move into her apartment, and then I'm taking her to one of my homies. Was, it was his kid's birthday party, and I pick her up, and I take her there because she doesn't have any friends yet. She's a new town, a new place, because I'm a nice guy, okay? And I pick her up, and we're driving to the birthday party, and she says this to me. She says, hey, um, there's this guy. He asked me out on a date. What do you, what do you think about this guy? I just would love to hear your advice. She big brothered me, y'all. She was like, I just need some wisdom. Like, I need some advice from you. And I was like, and I literally, I kid you not. I said, Paige, you're putting me in a weird situation here because I want to take you out on a date. Oh, shoot. And she said this. 
She said this, she looked at me and she said, I'm not mad about it. And I was like, okay. And then I left for Mexico for two weeks on a motorcycle trip, okay? Priorities, priorities, okay? And when I got back from the trip, when I got back from the trip, we started hanging out, right? I asked her on a date, we started dating, um, and you know, the rest is history. About a year later, we were married, okay? And I don't recommend moving that quickly, but I was like 25 at the time. We had both graduated from college. We were both working full-time, and when you know, you know, right? And so, uh, but here's the thing, okay? If on August 11th, 2018, when we stood in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico and got married, if I, the next day, handed Paige a binder just packed full of all of the ways, the rules and regulations and a long list, and I went, hey, this is what loving me looks like, and I just handed her a binder, and it was like this perfectly formatted, minute by minute, hour by hour, 168 hours in a week. This is exactly what, it, what the requirements of being my wife. Here you go. None of you would go, oh, dub, right? Like nobody, <laughs> nobody. Because here's the reality. Forced love is not love at all. So when God created us in his image, as male and female, he created us, and he said, I'm going to give you this life. I'm gonna place you in the garden. I'm gonna give you a job to do. I'm gonna give you work, right? That there was this, uh, we had a responsibility in stewardship pre-fall. And then Adam and Eve make the choice to not love, to not follow through. And these actions, words, thoughts, attitudes that fundamentally go against God's design for our life is how sin entered into the picture. One of my favorite theologians, he defines sin as this. He says it's our unwillingness to believe that what God wants for us is actually our deepest happiness. He says sin is our unwillingness to believe. Hey, we sit here and go, there's no way that what God wants for me is my deepest happiness. We look at this and we go, rules and regulations, a boring life. Why would I want to do this? I want to do me. I want to pursue my sport. I want to pursue that girl. I want to pursue that guy. I want to pursue success. I, I, I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it. We might not say it that dogmatically, but we live it. And sin is our unwillingness to believe that what God wants for us is our deepest happiness. See, a number of years ago, um, I got to take a, a group of students down to the Dominican Republic on a missions trip. And um, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, growing up, I like loved staying in hotels. Anybody else, right? Like, I know some of you, like, where are my people that are like, I love my own bed? Like, that's my spot through and through. Okay, all right, cool, cool. Like, I get that for sure. But here's the, here's the problem. Like, I gotta wash the sheets on my own bed, right? Like, that's, that's, thing for, that's always been the thing for me. Like, I've loved hotels because it's like, twice a day, I can like throw a towel on the ground and I come back an hour later and there's a fresh one hung up and I'm like, that's awesome, right? Like, that's, there's just something about staying in hotels that I've always loved. And so, especially when I was a kid, like, we'd be down in Ecuador, and then we'd come back to the U.S., and, like, my dad would go, and we would go on this tour all over the U.S. to see our, like, supporting churches, and my dad would preach in all these places. And so, every once in a while, most of the time we were staying in, like, some supporter's home or something, but every once in a while we'd get to stay in a hotel. And us four kids, we would, like, play in the pool, and, like, you know those, I feel like every hotel has that little, like, cup that you fill with the waffle mix, and you put it in that thing and close it and turn it over. And it's like, 
that's awesome, right? Like nobody makes waffles like that. Like it, like it just, it doesn't exist. So I love hotels. And so in the Dominican Republic, we're checking into a hotel and uh, I'm like the pastor on this trip, but there was a part of me that was like a little bit giddy. And I'm like, I know it's a missions trip, but we still get to stay in a hotel, right? And so we're hanging out and we go to check in at this hotel and I'm listening to the spiel from the front desk lady. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking like, hmm, different country, same spiel, right? She's like, you know, handing over the towels and the room keys. And she's like, there's a gym on the third floor. And I'm like, no need for that, right? Like, nobody needs to go to the gym when you're in a hotel, okay? Like, take a break, okay? Like, relax. And then, uh, you know, I'm like handing out the key cards to all my students. And we're like hanging out, whatever, doing our thing. And then we're like about to go uh, back to our rooms and chill for a little bit before we're going out to the town. And the lady stops me and she goes, hey, uh, Senor Payne. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. She's like, by the way, I forgot to say this, but... uh, there's a field behind the hotel, and uh, in that field, the Dominican Republic, there's been a lot of civil war in the Dominican Republic, and so in that field right behind the hotel, just be careful if you're going to go back there because there's a lot of landmines still there. And I, I remember hearing her, but like not really hearing her, and I was like, I'm sorry, did you just say landmines? Like, I feel like that field should just say closed, right? Like, not like, hey, if you're going to go back there, be careful. Because, like, youth pastors in the room, can you just level with me for a second? This, like, there's one call you don't want to make when you're on an international mission trip, or really anywhere, and it's like the call where you're like, hey, Mrs. Wilson, yeah, yeah, no, great, 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 yeah, everything's good for the most part. Um, but you know Timmy? Well, of course you know Timmy, that's your son. Um, you know how Timmy used to have two legs, right? Like... <laughs> That's not the call you want to make, right? Like, so for me, I grab my students and I'm like, hey, yo, like, ready? Field, behind the hotel, off limits. Like, we're not going back there. Because if, like, if, if we go back there and my, one of my kids is like, ultimate, right? Like, we're not, that's just not, that's not in the cards for this trip. But here's like, in my mind, right, and maybe this is like super American of me, but in my mind, I feel like it wouldn't have been that hard to, you know, like anytime you go to the beach, there's always that one guy or that one girl that has like the metal detector out. And I don't know what they're looking for, right? Like the engagement ring. Uh, Like, I don't know. But like, there's always that one person. I feel like it wouldn't have been that hard to like strap the headphones on and get the metal detector and just like go back into that field and just go like, beep. Beep, 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 Cone, cone, cone. Hey, landmine, certain death, stay away, okay? Beep, 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 Cone, cone, cone. Landmine, another one right here, certain death, stay away, okay? Beep, 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 And just mark them all. Just go to the field and then step back and you go, hey, anywhere you see cones, certain death. Everything else, you're good. Right? Like, be free. Like, so for me, with my students, if I were to say, hey, be free, just go play in the field however you want, is that loving of me? No. Right? That's not freedom. But if you do this, like, genuinely, if you Google, if you hop on Google and you say, define freedom, the word freedom is defined as the ability to do whatever you want to do when you want to do it. And so, but the reality with a field that's littered with landmines, for, for me to say, hey, student, be free, do, do whatever you want to do, is the most unloving thing I could possibly do. 
So freedom, in this sense, a true definition of freedom is actually not allowing my students to do whatever they want to do. It's going out, marking the places that lead to certain death and saying, now you're free. Why? Because you're aware of the places that will lead to your death. So when we look at scripture and we see God asking us to do something or asking God, uh, God asking us to not do something, do you remember the Ten Commandments? Right? We talked about this a couple nights ago, that before God gives us the Ten Commandments, what does he say? Remember. Right? This is like God's way of like in our bedtime routine going like, hey, remember, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the God that brought you out of slavery. Why would God do that? Why would God have to remind Israel? Because he's about to give them commandments. God's about to go cone, cone, cone. Certain death. Cone, cone, cone. Hey, certain death. If you have other gods before me, that's called sin. And scripture makes it crystal clear. If we choose a life of sin, it creates a separation between us and God. It says all have sinned, that every single one of us were born into the sin problem. And then for the rest of our life, we have these choices to make. Do I trust God and do what he says and therefore have a foundation that is the rock and my hope and my trust and my faith is in him or do I kind of want to do what I want to do when I want to do it? And you're going to run into a couple of those cones inevitably and when you do, right, maybe you just go, uh, well, I'll try a different way. I'll try another cone. Maybe that cone was just there on accident. And oftentimes, we have a choice to make of do I trust God and what he says, or do I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it? And sin is this unwillingness to believe that when God placed the cones out there, we go, well, does God really know? Did God really say? Can I really trust what God says? And we might look at this, and we might look at church, and we might look at your youth pastor or your leader and go, ugh, leave me alone. Let me do me. Let me figure it out. So I want to look at the life of Nebuchadnezzar real quick. I want to look at three things, that, uh, three sins that he found himself in, that he found himself in the midst of, that I think if we're not careful, we will also find ourselves in. Right? As you go home, as you live these lives in high school, as you graduate high school and go off to college, I think these are three things that we see in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, that we saw in the video, that we consistently see in our own lives, and I want us to be aware of it, okay? So Daniel Chapter four, hey, if you're, if you're uh, already in the book of Daniel, gold star. If not, open up to Daniel chapter four. We're gonna be in verse one here in a second. Hey, Daniel chapter four. And just for a little bit of like backing up context, we've already seen this first sin two separate times in the life of Nebuchadnezzar already. Okay? In uh, Daniel chapter two, verses 47 through 49, we see Daniel declare in front of, uh, or sorry, we see Nebuchadnezzar declare in front of everybody, right? Do you remember this? Chapter two, verse 47 through 49, he goes, surely your God is the God of all gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries for you were able to reveal this great mystery. I remember Nebuchadnezzar goes, you're gonna tell me what my dream is and you're gonna tell me what it means. And all the astrologers are like, uh, that's impossible. And then God reveals it to Daniel and instead of Daniel coming I know how to reveal your dream, right? No, he goes, there's a God. And he is the revealer of dreams. And then Nebuchadnezzar goes, what? 
Your God surely is the God of all gods and the king of all kings. And then what does he do almost immediately? Chapter 3, verse 1. Let's make a statue of gold. Let's make a big chocolate bunny, right? It's for your VeggieTale fans out there, right? You're welcome for that song being stuck in your head for the rest of the night, okay? And then we see it again in in Daniel chapter 3, verse 28. We see uh, after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery flames, and then God rescues Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of these fiery flames, we see Nebuchadnezzar double down. We see him in chapter 3, verse 28, say, Surely the God, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. And then here we are in chapter 4. We're going to see the third time Nebuchadnezzar is going to make a declaration like this. So, Hume Lake, if you are in Daniel chapter 4, verse 1, can I get a nice, loud, preach? Preach! Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure, this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking, it is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. But we're going to watch at the end of this chapter, and we're going to get there in just a second, but we're going to watch at the end of this chapter Nebuchadnezzar have another dream. And in this dream, uh, there's going to be this tree that reaches up to the sky, and it provides for all the people around it, and then this tree is going to get chopped down. And the reason that this tree gets chopped down, it's representative of the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, is because of Nebuchadnezzar's unwillingness to actually follow the king of all kings and the god of all gods. Right? That three times he's going to give that god lip service. Three times he's going to even praise that God. There's going to be aspects of this God that he knows a lot about. But one of the sins that I believe that we are, we are the most guilty of, and myself included in this, is I can know a lot about God, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I know God. Does that make sense? And when I know a lot about God, I can actually be informed about this God, but I don't allow myself to be transformed by that God. That I can be moved by that God, but it doesn't actually change anything about my life. See, now, remember when I told you my wife is a huge Swifty? Right? Remember that? Okay, any other Swift, Taylor Swift fans in the room? Okay. Um, can, I be, can I be, like, low-key vulnerable with you guys for a second? I really like Taylor Swift too, okay? And like, we're going, to, we're going to her concert on August 3rd or whatever it is, like I don't remember what it is, but uh, I, I like to play it off like I'm just going for her, right? Like it's like, it's sacrificial, right? Like I'm trying to love my wife well, but like to be honest with you, I'm pretty excited, okay? And I want you to pretend for a second, like if you found yourself at a show and uh, like a, a Taylor Swift show, or you fill in like one of your favorite artists, like whoever it is, like you find yourself at their show, and somehow you manage uh, to get like backstage passes, and my wife and I, like we get backstage, and we go and we find uh, Taylor Swift's like, like the, you know, the green room that her and her band are hanging out in, and we like, we, we open the door, and, and Paige and I walk in, and we go like, hi, Taylor, what's gonna happen? 
security, right? Like, we're not going to last three seconds in that room. Like, we're not walking in there and going, like, Taylor, I, I know all of your lyrics. Like, I, we can go all the way back to, like, Tim McGraw, right? Like, it, it's, like I, let's go back to when you were a country star, Taylor. Like, let's go back to, like, like, I know all these things about you. Like, we follow you on Instagram. We watch these YouTube videos. Like, my wife knows, like, every outfit change you've made on tour for your last however many tours. My wife drove across state borders one time to watch a Taylor Swift show alone. Like, homegirl is a legend, big-time fan of Taylor Swift. And so, like, if we walk into that room and go, Taylor... I know all this stuff about you. Taylor's going to look at us and go, you're crazy. I don't know you. We can know a lot about Taylor Swift without actually knowing Taylor Swift. And Nebuchadnezzar three times is going to demonstrate that he knows a lot about this God. He's given this God lip, ser lip service, but the, the reality of his life demonstrates over and over and over again he doesn't know that God. And because he doesn't know that God, we see these thoughts, actions, words, and attitudes that fundamentally go against God's design for Nebuchadnezzar's life. And we see sin prevalent in his life. The second sin that we see in, in Nebuchadnezzar's life actually comes in chapter three, and we've already seen it, right? He, he, he puts up this giant gold statue. And here's my guess. My guess is that none of you struggle with idolatry in the same way that Nebuchadnezzar struggled with idolatry. Like, my guess is, like, if, if you and I became friends this week and, like, you invited me down to your church and, like, I got to come and meet your family and we were having dinner, like, I probably, Paige and I wouldn't walk into your house and be like, and you'd be like, yeah, that's our gold shrine. And it's like, we worship it sometimes, like, if we can't make it to church, whatever. But anyways, like, do you like spaghetti, right? Like, like I'm, that's my guess. My guess is we wouldn't walk into your room or, or walk into your house and see, like, some shrine that you bow down and worship to. But can I tell you something? Worship is not something you do. Worship is something you are. That every single one of us, we were designed and created as worshipers. So the question is, not if you are going to worship, the question is who or what you will worship. So if you sit in this chapel and the worship band comes out and there's lyrics up on the stage and they start playing and you sit in the back of the room and you're like talking to the homies and you're like, I'm not into worship. I don't do worship. The question, friend, is not if you worship. The question is who do you worship? And if it's not God, it will be something or someone else. A lot of us worship the idol of success. A lot of us worship the idol of popularity, the idol of comfort, the idol of immediate gratification, the idol of Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, that we think we've, we've convinced ourselves that our life will begin as soon as we find the right guy or the right girl and we can get married and then we can ride into the sunset. Right? And, and a lot of our culture has told us that it's almost our right, like a rite of passage to find Mr. Right or to find Mrs. Right, to have the golden retriever, the white picket fence, to own the home, to send your kids to private school, to have the green grass lawn, and to settle into your life and go, then I'll start to figure this whole thing out. And our hearts, friends, are idle factories. So if you do not worship the God of the universe, that 
hole, that chasm in your heart will be filled by something else. So my guess is, while you don't have a golden statue in your life, if we just looked at the 168 hours in a week and we, we made a little pie chart of how you spend your time, I could probably quickly audit your life and tell you what your idols are. What are the things in your life that you're giving your attention to that dominate your focus? Worship is not something we do, it's something we are. And Nebuchadnezzar is absolutely guilty of idolatry. But friends, I think if we're being honest, you and I are too. And tonight in cabin time, maybe this is something, an aspect of our conversation where we're able to be vulnerable enough to go, hey, I have some serious idols in my life. And maybe we're willing to be real tonight and go, hey, here's some of the things that I'm wrestling with. Here's some of the things that dominate my focus. Here's some of the idols in my life. And then the last one we see is in in chapter four, okay? And I I told you about this dream that that Nebuchadnezzar has where there's this tree and then uh, Daniel interprets the dream and he says that the tree is... uh, Nebuchadnezzar and that his life, it's gonna be, it's gonna be this, like this tree that like gets chopped down. He's gonna be sent out into the wilderness. We kind of saw it a little bit. Anybody else cringe when he ate that banana, right? As he took the first bite of like the outside of the banana, I was like, <laughs> like, a, like it set a chill down my spine, okay? But we see this happen in Daniel chapter four. And then Daniel says this in Daniel chapter four, verse 27. He says, therefore your majesty, speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, be pleased to accept my advice renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. There's this invitation from Daniel. There's almost this grace of going like, I'm gonna give you something that you don't deserve and it's an invitation to turn back on the path that you've been walking down. And he says this in Daniel chapter four, verse 28. It says, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later. As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came down from heaven. This is what was decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of the heaven until his hair grew out like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, don't miss this Hume. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven seven years later, and my sanity was what? Restored. Circle that word in your Bible. Then I praised the Most High, and I honored and glorified him who lives forever. See, this is God's heart for all of us. It's that restoration. But before any one of us can be restored, we have to deal with the sin in our lives. And the Bible is going to talk about how every sin has a consequence. And that the wages of our sin, what we deserve because of the sin in our life, is death. It's this eternal separation from God. That God in his perfection, in his holiness, cannot be in the presence of sin. That which fundamentally opposes goes against his character. Our thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes that that lead us away from his design for our life, that God cannot be in the presence of that sin. 
It says the wages of that sin is death. It's this eternal separation. And here's how I want to just wrap up our time together is this. Um, One of the things I wrestle with in Scripture is all growing up as the youngest of four siblings, when I wronged my sibling, I was taught uh, to apologize. And when my sibling wronged me, they were taught to apologize. And maybe you were raised in a household similar to this. When my sibling said sorry to me, I was taught that I had to forgive them, right? Hey, I'm sorry for taking your toy truck. I forgive you. That was last year. Just kidding. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry for, I forgive you. And this is how it went. And so when I, when I read a verse like this, and I, when we talk about sin, I can kind of wrap my head around this whole sin thing, but then I struggle with the fact that when sin entered into the picture, why couldn't Adam and Eve have just gone like, hey, God, we're sorry, and God goes, I forgive you, just don't do it again. Like, what's up with all this death stuff? Like, what's up with, like, the wages of sin is death? Th- that seems kind of extreme, like, you sin against God, and he's like, that's it, death. You're like, wow. What happened to the God of love? What happened to the God of grace? What happened to the God of forgiveness? But here's the reality, right? Um, Cade, you and I were having this conversation, so I'm just going to use you. This is Cade, guys. Everybody say hi, Cade. Cade, your brother closest to you, his name is Cole, right? Okay? So, Cade, if you walked up to Cole... Okay, and here's what I'm going to ask from the rest of you, okay? Throughout this, we're going to have a conversation, but I need you all to stay with me, okay? Can we do that, okay? And as I, even as Kate and I have this conversation, like when you feel like reacting and like exploding, because I promise you, you will here in a second, like I need you to just stay with me. Capiche? Okay. <laughs> Piper says, a posh. That's my favorite. Okay, Kate, so you walk up to Cole. You take that palm of yours. Cole did something that just really pissed you off. And you, you take that palm of yours and you just whack, open hand slap Cole across the face. What do your mom and dad do? Probably take away your phone, right? Like the punishment matches the crime and they go, Cade, not cool, right? Like take away your phone, there's a consequence there, okay? Now, Cade, um, you and I were already having this conversation, so Mr. Johnson, as one of your teachers, is a teacher that... I'm not going to say you don't like him, but maybe he's just not your favorite teacher, right? So you walk up to Mr. Johnson, and you go, just one day, you kind of lose it, right? It's like having a hard day, and you walk up to Mr. Johnson, you're at school, and you just go, today's the day. (laughs) And you walk up to Mr. Johnson, and you just whack, open hand slap your teacher across the face. You're probably getting expelled, right? Like, at a bare minimum, you're getting suspended. You're probably going to get expelled. Now, Cade, remind me, where's home again? Placerville. Does Placerville have a police, like, department? Like, the Placerville Police Department? They're sheriffs? Even better, okay? (laughs) So you walk up to the sheriff in your town, Placerville Sheriff, right? And you look at that right hand, and today's a day that you just don't particularly like this sheriff, okay? And you walk up to that sheriff, and you say, right hand, today's the day. And you just open hand smack a sheriff. What happens? In the state of California, in the state of California, 
My friend Kate is facing a bare minimum of one year in juvie. And on top of that one year, there's going to be a financial, uh, some sort of contribution to Placerville, okay? And he's not going to get his name on a plaque, okay? Like, it's not like, it's not like a donation, right? This is a penalty. This is a finan- uh, financial penalty and time. You're going to serve time for assaulting a police officer. Now, if you walk up to a higher authority in our nation, a congressman, a senator, the president of the United States, and you walk up to somebody in government in, this, in, in the U.S. of A., and you take your right hand, Cade, you find yourself in Washington, D.C., and you go, right hand, today's the day. Right? Yeah, maybe he has anger issues. I don't know, right? <laughs> See a counselor. And you take that right hand, and you assault a member of U.S. government. In the United States of America, you are facing a minimum of five years of prison time and a minimum $250,000 fine for assaulting, even an open-hand slap, a member of U.S. government. Now, why do I bring this up? It's because the punishment fits the crime. If you slap your sibling, your parents go, seriously? Phone, right? That's the consequence, because your sibling is your equal. Now, if you assault a teacher, we up the punishment. If you assault a police officer, we up the punishment. If you assault an authority figure in our nation, the punishment matches the crime. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, we might look at sin, and in our day and age, in our culture, it's so easy to downplay sin. There's billboards that show a chocolate cake, and it just goes, sinfully delicious. We downplay it all the time. But sin in Scripture is described as cosmic treason, that there is a God who is all-knowing and all-powerful, He is all loving, he is all gracious, he is all merciful, he always has been, he always will be. When he speaks, when he opens his mouth and says, mountain range, you go there, it actually listens. So for us as human beings to sin and for us to think that we get to determine what the punishment is for that sin is ludicrous. Our finite life that that the Bible describes as a mist. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. The Bible makes it crystal clear that when we sin and commit cosmic treason against the God of the universe, there is one punishment and all sin must be paid for, either by you or by someone else. And that's what we're gonna talk about a little bit more tomorrow, that God's heart is this restoration, this reconciliation to buy back. But tonight, friends, I wanna spend a night Or we, much like last night, just between you and God, that you do a little business with God. That we talk about the idolatry in our heart. That we talk about the sin that is prevalent in every single one of our lives. That maybe for the first time in a long time, we come to grips with what's actually happening in here. So I'm gonna pray for us here in a second. And as I pray for us, I'm just going to ask that you and God just do a little business. And before you pack your stuff up, you pack your stuff up real quick, that I, I think one of the things that trips us up the most with sin, especially, especially for those of you that have been around church for a long time, that have like grown up around church, that know all the answers. Like when I make my veggie tail references, you're like, I loved that one, right? Like... I think one of the things that trips us up, church kid, that's been around for forever, is when we think about sin, we compare ourselves this way. 
And it's really easy to find a girl or a guy that looks worse than you. And we go, well, I'm not as bad as her. Well, I'm not as bad as him. And we look at our own lives and you might not see a lot of things in your life that are that bad. A recent study showed that 70, just about 70% of teenagers in America when asked, do you think people are mostly good, said yes. The only problem with that is this. You know, Romans chapter three says there is no one good, not one. No one. That nobody by nature is good. So friend, like as you do business with God right now, my challenge to you is when we think about our own sin, don't compare yourself this way. When we think about our sin, our only comparison should be this way. Because of my sin, there is a separation here that God is an all-holy, all-perfect God, and my sin makes it impossible to be in his presence, which should create a little bit of a tension. And the story's not over, right? Like, it's, it, this isn't done. We're gonna pick up where we left off tomorrow, but tonight I, wanna, I want us to take that seriously. Hey, so let me pray over you. God, thanks for tonight. God, thanks for the, the opportunity that we have to come into this chapel a couple times a day and just worship you. God, and that you know us well enough to know that when we worship you, that's the freest we will ever be. Because our hearts are natural idol factories. But when we put you in that place, when we put you on the throne where you belong, that that is when we get to operate at our fullest, at our freest, at our most satisfied, our most fulfilled. But God, I, I ask tonight that Holy Spirit that you would convict where you need to convict, that you would remind where you need to remind that maybe we need to sit here tonight. We need to have a conversation in cabin time tonight where we remember or we're reminded, we're convicted about the places in our life where we aren't putting you on the throne, where we are chasing after what we want and when we want it and how we want it. God, that our pride gets in the way all the time. And, and Nebuchadnezzar says that it is my might that has made this kingdom. It is my power. And we might look at that and see pride. And yet, God, if I'm being honest, if I look in my heart, there's so many moments today, this week, where my pride gets the best of me. And I make life about me. God, would you give us a vulnerability tonight? Would we walk into freedom tonight? We love you. Thanks for loving us first. It's your name we pray. Amen.